In roller derby, holding space is an empowering, often intimidating act of strength and strategy for oneself and or teammates. Holding Space, the podcast, clears the floor for conversations that touch upon race, class, identity, and privilege to amplify stories, build community, and make more connections in the skate world. Expect lots of smart, dope skate people musing about life on and off eight wheels and silliness. Can't forget the silliness that you never knew you needed and won't be able to live without. This is Holding Space with Magical Realism. Welcome. What's up, y'all? Today's guest, Coco Butter of San Fernando Valley Roller Derby, needs no introduction, partly because she's such a mainstay in skaterly environs online and IRL, and also because I just want y'all to listen to Coco herself, who is passionate about BPOC visibility and inclusion. I'm confident everyone will find a piece of Coco's experience resonant, though, be it skating her way through small, medium, and large leagues in search of a space that fit best, or coming out, or dealing with the bitterness and sweetness of being a Black skater in roller derby. Enjoy. Coco, I am a fan. I am, you're one of those people that I see in the derby world and I see myself. I feel like I I respect mm-hmm. the shit out of you. I mean, like I see myself, but at a way higher skill level. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> at a more accomplished level, but as an aspirational model, I should say. You know what? Yeah, and it's always, it, it's always the way you see someone else because I see you in that light, oh, you know, so this voice that you're giving to people <laughs> and, you know, you're giving space literally to to people who probably wouldn't have space anywhere else or an opportunity or a platform and so I see you as just the same I'm like I am so inspired like uh I'm sorry can I ask you what your pronouns are my pronouns are she and her what about you okay my my pronouns are also she her yes but I, I look at you and I say, oh, gosh, she's doing this stuff. Maybe she hasn't been in Derby uh, as, as long as some of us have been. But, oh, my gosh, she got in here and she's like, I'm going to I'm going to make this better. I'm going to make this different. And you did it sooner than some of us had the courage to do. So you're you're an inspiration to me. Thank you kindly. I, so. you know, I, this is a work in progress and this is belong, this platform belongs to everyone. This is like an attempt to, you know, amplify. And you're right. It was so weird. It's like, you know, you feel that there are voices and experiences missing from the conversation, but you don't hear them. And then all I mm-hmm. had to do was like buy a mic at my local photo video store and here I am <laughs> finding all of the people that that I knew intuitively existed. You know what I mean? Like there isn't a shortage of brilliant, brilliant people in this community, present company Ooh. included. I swear. Like, it's Listen just now. Amazing. Thank you. Of course. <laughs> yeah. And so right. like, so it's really dope. So I'm just like, here, here are the people that I knew existed. Here are the people that deserve to be on the mic. Because while I definitely appreciate that the, the higher level skaters get love because in, in the mm-hmm. grand scheme of things, Derby is like a tiny, tiny pond in, you know, a ocean of, of sports. Uh, right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. people who are like busting their asses to like 
do that D1 work. They don't hear it anywhere else. They're, they're doing nine to fives yeah. like the rest of us, right? So that's cool yeah. too. But then there's like a big void. Yeah, like I'm just like, there are just so many talented people, but all the cameras and all of the mics are pointed in one direction. And I was just like- They're, oh, they're pointed in one spot. And it's yeah. kind of like, like field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. Amen. And it's like they, everyone was out there wanting to share space and to talk and to, to have a, a place where we could all say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel that too. I feel that too. But we never really got the opportunity. So you built it and now there's all these people here and yeah. thanking you for it. Of so, course. No, and yeah. it's like, and and it happens again and again, right? It happened like, I'm sure when Scarby Doll and whoever else helped her like with the founding of BRDN, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about, I'm sure, you know, she kind of like had a hunch and started, you know, just opening this, this space for that space for people and, mm-hmm. and Mick Swagger where you and I met, but Mick create a space for people to speak and speak out. And they are huge inspo to me on and off the track too for that work but you know yeah. and like the same with the with neon and and olive and all the people who are creating those instagram oh, accounts you know it's just like every time yeah. you create it people like it's almost like a magnetic effect people come because they feel it so yeah it's so that's funny because i think people think people think it's the reverse people think oh you created all of these different networks and these different ig accounts and all of these different things and people then joined those things and it's really completely the opposite everyone was out there without you know without a flag or mm-hmm. without a land to call their own mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden these things kind of organically came out of that and then it's like oh I'm I'm not alone there's so many more of me I just had no idea I didn't know where to find the other me's totally so, and it's always yeah. like a leap of faith like you just start up an account or you make an event and you're like I think I hope there were people. Yeah, I think there are people, and they and they and people always show up. There's always fam. There's always community. Anyway, always. So yeah, I guess let's start from the top. Um, give okay. me your hit me with your origin story. How did the, oh, the Derby Worlds? God. You know, it, it, how you did know you come what? into into contact with the Derby Worlds? I love that you said origin story too, because I am like a huge comic fan, Marvel and DC, but I like I really love DC. And the fact that you kind of called it my, I mean, that just makes me feel like a superhero. So I'm going to take that, my origin story. You are a superhero, and huh? Like, <laughs> I am a superhero. Yes, <laughs> yes I'm, I'm going to own it. Cocoa Butter, so, superhero. <laughs> Cocoa Butter, the superhero. Initially, I am one of those people that has, I think my story is a lot like a lot of different people, but I was a rink rat. And, you know, there's those kids that just hang out at the rink all day and all night and my parents were fine with it they got me my own pair of skates and they're like well we know she's in there we know that's where she'll be and I taught myself to skate I taught myself to skate really well to skate backwards and do all those things and I'm a little bit older than most so that's when roller skating was still really really cool and I would spend Friday and Saturday nights at the rink so I've always skated but then I got away from it. And, you know, as an adult, it's like, well, where do you find opportunities just to skate anymore? No one, you know, if you're the weird 40-year-old skating around with a bunch of 12-year-olds, you're that weird person. So now (laughs) being the rink rat isn't as cool. So, okay, I'm going to name drop a little bit. Was it a rink rat? Like, like the, like, I remember, like, earlier you you made a tweet, you tweeted about United Skates. Were you a part of, like, that subculture? Did that 
resonate with I, you? It does. It does. Yes, you saw my tweet. I'm such a fanatic on that stinking derby Twitter. It's, uh, but I feel like I'm getting seen and like people are like, you, you, you live on here. And I'm all like, like this backhanded compliments. I'm like, uh, I guess I do. <laughs> Thanks. No, but I mean, you live on there, but it's like, you're, you're one of the people whose content, like I actually will go, I will just put your name in so that I can find you and see things that you're talking about recently. There's certain people like that, that, that like Meg Fenway, that, like there's certain people where I just, I know that they, they're talking about something, not to say that Twitter cannot be just fun and fluff but there are certain people I know are talking about real stuff that I really want to talk about so you know you're one of those people on Derby Twitter where it's not just all fluff you know we're talking about you know the fluffy stuff but we're also talking about you know injustices and things that should be amplified and voices that should be heard and did you see this did you hear about that mess right or with is doing this did you all know and let's go back and let's give them some feedback and so on and so forth so Derby Twitter is mess but it is also a network of contacts that we've all, again, one of those places you build it, they will come and we've all found each other, you know? So yes, I it's love also it. Like I, you know what I love about it? It's that it's not behind the wall. It's not like a no. league slack. It's not like right. Facebook or like groups or forums, you know what I mean? So yes. it's very easy to access. And even though it's that public, people, for the most part, are still civil, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. There's still like substantive discussions But if they're not, you know, people are right there to let them know about themselves, which is also very, very transparent, you know, where someone may not hear a call out or see a, a call in, but on Twitter, you're going to get that feedback immediately. You know, they're going to let you know right away whether or not yep. this is cool or it's not cool. And I like that immediacy of it. And I love that it's all levels. There's, you know, brand new, brand new baby, baby skaters to to the vets. And and everyone has kind of an equal an equal voice. The retirees, um, like there are, there are also people who have just, who still engage even though they've stopped skating or stopped absolutely competing or officiating and stuff. That's also cool. Yeah, it's, yeah. It stays relevant forever and ever. So cool. that's cool to see I don't too, know because what it means that you that you that you like love the the sport itself. Like you know what I mean? But anyway. Yeah. When no, the bits of telling the me about no, I mean one, like the greater you. Now you know, like people oh, who join yeah. Derby Center. I'm sure I know right. you love it. <laughs> you wouldn't do all this if you, if there wasn't love attached, I wouldn't think. Uh, but um Yeah, love hate. So mm. Uh, yeah, we're going to dig into that. So uh, okay. without further ado, you were in the midst of starting your, your origin story, Superstar, Superhero. Uh, <laughs> yes, my, my origin story. So I was always a rink rat. I could skate. And I used to live in Bakersfield for work. Bakersfield's a little small, dusty town about an hour north of LA. And for work, I happened to work with none other than the wonderful, talented, amazing. I'm a Blabaya. And Ima and I um, were friends. Her husband and my brother are very, very close friends. And Ima and I shared a wall. Our houses were, we were literal neighbors where we shared like a wall. We could look over each other's walls at each other's backyards. And Ima found out that I could- Of AZRD fame. Yeah. Yes. I'm a Blobaya. Yes. Of, of Arizona roller derby. And Ima said, oh, you skate. I said, yeah. And she's like, you need to play roller derby. And I said, no, no, I mean, that sounds cool. You mean like the Thunderbirds? And she's like, yeah, but better. You got to skate. You got to skate. And Bakersfield, 
though it's a small town, had like five or six teams. And she's like, you got to skate, you got to skate. I hand and hawed for about like two years. And I was probably weighing like 285 pounds back then. And I was like, there's no way I could skate and live. So I dropped weight. I started working on my fitness, not just to get thin, but because I wanted to be healthy enough to be able to play the sport. So I ended up getting healthy enough to, to try out. I started with a teeny tiny league called the Bakersfield Diamond Divas. They're teeny tiny league, but full of heart, amazing, amazing people. And once they knew I could skate, they were like, you're going to pass your minimum in as quickly as you possibly can because we want you to skate. So I was doing 27 and 5 like every practice, every single practice. And then I hit my laps probably like my fourth or fifth practice. And then I bouted within like two months of having started skating. After I did that, I'm a (laughs) left me. I was like, I'm leaving, Coco. And I said, where are you going? She's like, I'm going to Angel City. I, you know, I'm looking for more competitive uh, derby and I'm ready to make the move. So she started commuting back and forth and back and forth. And because of work, was able to actually move to Los Angeles. And she's like, when you move to Los Angeles, I'm going to need you to start skating with Angel City. And I initially was terrified. I was like, no, no, no. I'm going to go with one of the smaller leagues. I'm not ready for a D1 league. This is, you know, scary. I don't think I can actually cut it. Name drop again. I actually had a, a clinic that Smarty Pants came to while I was in Bakersfield. And Smarty and I were, we, we got some time to kind of talk about my goals and what I wanted to do with roller derby. And they were like, so supportive. They said, if you have the option to train in the D1 league, why wouldn't you take it? I really, really support you making that jump. They were so supportive. I thought, okay, I've got Ima saying go. I've got Smarty Pants saying go. I'm going to go for it. So I'm in the back of your mind. I'm sure you yourself were kind of like, it only took like a nudge, right? Like I'm sure you were ready and wanting that challenge. You know what? I just, you you know, it's funny you say that because, yeah, but I think there's always this place in every skater, every derby person's mind that they're that imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. that, you know, if they're saying you're good enough, maybe you are good enough. But there's always that self-doubt where you're like, no, 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 I couldn't possibly. I couldn't possibly. I'm an imposter. They're seeing something that that's not real. But if they hadn't said that to me, I think I probably would not have made the jump. I wouldn't have tried. And that push was all I really needed, a little bit of encouragement that they thought I could actually hang tough. And I did it and transferred to Angel City. And man, that was probably one of the best choices I ever made in my derby career. I just, it's the kind of training that you will not get anywhere else. So just for context, well, what was the size of yeah. the the Bakersfield team or like the league size to your leap to this bigger, to the big leagues, <laughs> to the okay, D1? So, man, Bakersfield Diamond Divas, I'd say maybe 40, mm-hmm. maybe 40 people. And I'd say that would include volunteers, coaches, that, that would involve everybody. That's everything. And then making the leap to Angel City, I think Angel City with all of the teams, and if you include Parks and Ref, which is the, the refs and officials, it's got to be pushing 200, 200 and maybe two plus. And then all the alumni, you're adding like another 50 of, I mean, active alumni. It's got to be, it's 
pushing close to 300 something people. And it, it was intimidating because you walk into the, into the warehouse and you see the, the rockets on the walls and you see the red and gold and you say, oh my gosh, this is you know, bigger than I can do. I, I'm, this is more than I'm capable of. And initially, I think it was, you know, the kind of training that we received, I was not prepared for. We crossed it before every practice. And, and you know, it's really just to, to build endurance. So listen, if you just did an hour of CrossFit, and then you're going to skate for another two hours, when you just have a game, your body's going to be like, ah, this is easy, I can do this. And that's the kind of training that you get. I mean, and you're, you're, the coaching is amazing. But the way Angel City is structured, the coaches are typically the team above you. So I was able to skate as a shore shot, which was the regional A team. So our coaches were Tui Lyon, Rachel Rotten, you know, Wana Tease. All of our coaches were these amazing Hollywood Scarlets that have been playing D1 for however many years. And they were passing all of that knowledge on to us. We were playing the same strategies that they were playing because they fully expect you to eventually move up to that, to, to, to that team. So I stayed there for about three years and joined the board of directors. Did so many things. I dove in both feet and I just really developed a love and passion for, for roller derby and for that league and for that team. But then I started to get really burnt out and I thought, you know, I don't know that I'm really cut out to skate anymore. I don't know if this is for me anymore. The, the kind of time that I've been devoting to this that is required of a league like Angel City. I don't know if I have the time to do it. And I was commuting probably about an hour and a half to like an hour and 45 minutes every day in traffic or three to four days a week in traffic. And I was missing time from my boys and I was missing time from my friends and I was starting to lose it. And so the opportunity came to join another league that's about 20 to 30 minutes down the road from me, San Fernando Valley Roller Derby. And I've been there oh, I've been there since about March of last year, March, yeah, March, April of last year. And this is fitting kind of my roller derby lifestyle for now. What do you mean by that? The requirements at Angel City was, you know, you're practicing three to four days a week. And, uh, you know, the commute is the commute. You're going to make that commute. Very, very high expectations as far as involvement, volunteer hours. I was working on the board of directors, which was basically a, a, another job. So you have your life job, but then you have your derby, derby job. And it was, you know, emails all day, emergencies, media contacts, just all day, all day kind of things. And the requirements were getting to a place where I was like, I don't know that I can do this anymore. And when I moved to SFV, the attendance requirement is a little bit less. You do still have jobs, but it's also, you know, the expectation that you're going to be a scarlet one day is, is not there. And I knew at the age of 43, when I was competing and trying and working and working so hard to become a rocket queen or a scarlet at Angel City, I started to really realize they may not ever see you as that. Mm -hmm. So if they never see you as that, what is, what's your goal now in a highly your, competitive league? Where's the, where's the, yeah, where, where's the, the end goal or where's the destination there? Exactly. What is your destination? And Angel City, and you, I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing, but Angel City is very clear about what the goal is. Your goal is to compete at the highest level you possibly can. So if I 
trying and working and working and working towards becoming a rocket queen or uh, a Hollywood scarlet. And they just don't see it for me because I'm either not, I'm not physically what they're looking for, or maybe I'm too slow or whatever it was, the, the feedback that I'm getting back, lots of different things. Then I start to question. I say, well, then what is my end game? What is, what is it that I should be focused on? And I had to really sit back and think about that. What was my goal? And what is, what are you getting out of it? If you're putting all of these hours in, you have <laughs> your, how old are your sons? I have an eight and 12, eight so year old and 12 year old. So then you would have had like a six year old and like a yeah. seven year old and a 10 year old. Yeah. You know, you know, those years aren't, aren't ever coming back, you know, your time is precious. So I can understand that must have been a really difficult struggle. It was, it was a struggle because there's also, you know, you don't want to disappoint anyone. You're, you're, I'm thinking to myself, I want to be the best derby player that I can be. And they have this expectation that I can be this and I'm falling short. And so I'm falling short as a mom because I'm spending hours away from my children. I'm falling short as a derby player because I can't put in the kind of time and energy that they want me to put in to be able to compete at a D1 level. So I'm just failing at everything. And that feeling started to make me doubt whether or not derby was still for me Mm. until until I reevaluated what my goal was. And my goal was really now it is to play at the most competitive level that I can play at and that meets my needs. So now I'm on the charter for my current league, SFD, where the like OMGs and the OMGs are tough. We've traveled all over the country. We play teams from Brussels. We played teams from, we played Baja, Mexico. We played all kinds of teams from all over the place, but it's not at the same level as say the Scarlets would be. And the requirements are not at the same level. Is San Fernando Valley Road no. Derby? Is it ranked in, is it a Wolf the Derby team? Yes. And it, is, it is. Okay. Rank. It is so, ranked. We're like uh, ranking somewhere around like 120 or something like that. So awesome. when so, playing with, go ahead. No, yeah. My question was going to be, my follow-up question was going to be, what's the the team culture like? Like, what's the ambition there as a group? You know, because you, you made it really clear that in at Angel City, it was to compete at the highest level and everything is sort of geared towards becoming a Scarlet and that sort of thing. What was the change? What was the, that sh- shift in like the the league culture for you at SFV? At SFV, the the culture is it's culture shock. Actually, when I initially went, I thought these people are absolutely crazy, but they are crazy in the best way. The culture shift has been playing as much as we can, as often as we can anyone who will play us. And that's kind of like amazing to me, you know, where you're coming from another league where they're like, oh, well, you know, that won't do anything really to help our ranking. So we're going to say no to that game or, you know, we're not going to do this because it, you know, wouldn't really help us do anything. Whereas this league is like, we want to play as much as we can and have as much fun as we possibly can doing it. So it's exactly the derby I needed at this point in my life where I started to fall in love again with skating and fall in, fall in love with teaching and coaching and sharing my love of derby and no expectations to anyone that, you know, you, you eventually have to be a smarty pants or that you have to be a, a V diva or that you're going to be any one of these you know, D1 players with your name on the side of a, of a roller skate, but you're going to play the best you can play and as hard as you can while you can and enjoy it. 
And you know what I love about that? I love that Derby provides experiences for you to to even like simultaneously be a vet. You were like a what? A vet of like four or five years. And then Mm -hmm. also a brand new skater. You know, Mm -hmm. kind of like turn the page and turn the corner and start over again and dust yourself off and figure this one out and figure out if you like it. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like you're fitting Derby around your life as opposed to your life around Derby. Would you say that's accurate? It is super accurate. Yeah, I feel like initially I was living to play derby and then my life was happening. Now it's like, well, I'm living and, you know, derby is part of that. And I've had to reprioritize what's most important to me. Derby's still in my top five, I'd say. But realizing what limitations I have and what I can and cannot do and being okay with that and still playing to my to my strengths. You're exactly right. I was brand new and a vet at the same time where I'm going to this new league and they're looking to me for leadership. They're like, oh, you played at this league and you've got this much experience and you've got this and that. And I'm looking at them like, well, I'm brand new here. You know, I'm still learning what your culture is. I don't know what you guys do. And, and it's Where do you kind keep of the forms? invigorating. Where do, where's the ice? Right. <laughs> Where do I, I need, go? What, I need who? to refill my water bottle. <laughs> and y'all are like, right, like you join her for? Simple stuff like that. Right. Simple, simple, you know, it's simple stuff like their little chants, you know, every time they, like our team has these chants and these little different things that we do and say. And I'd be standing there kind of, I don't know, mumbling, but, but it's been kind of invigorating to be brand new in my sixth year. You know, I've been skating for six years, but I'm brand new again. So Mm. it's kind of an amazing dichotomy that, that you're right. At least in this sport, you can be brand new and still be a vet. So Mm. that's great. You're like shaking up the, the snow globe. And it's also, and it's awesome that you were able to to find something that fit you best because I feel like sometimes given the area or the circumstances, some people just have to walk away, you know, or some people are so fed up that they walk away and that's, that's really unfortunate. I guess how big is, is SFV? Oh, we're now, I think we're probably about a hundred plus. What is the structure in terms of like travel versus home and do you have juniors? Like what's that like? I love that you're asking me all the right questions because our, our founder, Kilo Kitty, you'll hear Kilo. If you say Kilo Kitty to anyone, especially in, in California, everyone knows she's absolutely bananas. But she uh, founded this league and she sent me a list. She's like, make sure you talk about all of these different points. Oh, my like, goodness. Are you Kilo, talking to other people about talking to me? How dare you? Right? <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. I, no. <laughs> I, was telling my, I told Kilo, I was like, hey, you, you know, is there anything you want me to say on this podcast? Magic's going to have me on there. Is there anything you want me to say? Her, her notes are directly, this is it specifically. Also, please say, Kilo is so amazing. She taught me everything I know. <laughs> I so love Kilo. I but our we great talked is, about is, Kilo enough. <laughs> Oh, she's Hi, saying, perfect. She's gonna be happy. Thank you for saying her name multiple times. She's freaking crazy. But uh, league's about ninety-five plus, almost you know about hundred people, about sixty skaters, and so then we also have volunteers. We have juniors. The league started as uh, as a juniors league, and so there's about twenty juniors. It's just it's so it's so funny because in Los Angeles we have so many leagues that are right here. You know, Angel City actually wrote WFTDA recommendation letter for SFV to start. So they're kind of like our little sister league down the freeway. Yeah. So, and I'm going to be playing my old league in March. 
So it's fun. I, I get to still see people that I used to skate with, but now I'm going to, you know, bash them up real good. And it's still really close knit. <laughs> yeah, they, listen, they got to, they got to know I'm not, I'm not done. So I'm going to come back and remind you. <laughs> they're going to get these uh, heads. I'm just kidding. No they're going to no get heads. these heads. They're going to get these hips. They're going to get this butt. They're going to get shoulders. these shoulders. They're going to get all of it. They're going to have legal all targets of them. it. All legal targets. All the t- legal. All very, very legal. But that's what's so fun about it because I can still, you know, that's one of the beauty, beautiful things about Derby is that, you know, I can go back to my old league and and bash them up as hard as I can. And I fully expect them to do exactly the same back to me. And that's what shows love and respect. You know, if I went down there and took it easy on someone, they'd be like, oh, she's not even worried about, you know, what we've got going on down here. But no, if I go down there and I really work hard and I try to bash the hell out of them, they know, okay, she respects me. She thinks I'm a threat. So she's working hard. So that's awesome. And so I also wanted to ask, given that I and the rest of like maybe 99% of the people listening aren't in California, could you give Give us a sense of like the sort of demographic breakdown and like, you know, you said, and, and just how, I guess, closely or, or well-regarded and Der- like is Derby followed in your area of California? Really, we're really lucky in Southern California, especially, you know, I think all of California, because if you go up North Bay Area and all there's Sacramento, there's all those different leagues that are really close knit. And then the next pocket is LA. And Within Los Angeles, I'd say all within no more than an hour of each other, we could get to about 10 or 15 leagues. There's SFD, which is the league I skate for up here in San Fernando Valley. There's Angel City Derby, this little further down. There's LADD, which is the Los Angeles Derby Dolls. That's the bank track. There's LA Renegades. So they skate Renegade, no rules. And there's Beach Cities, which is in Long Beach. There's, I mean, there's just so many. And then you go a little further down, there's OC, which is Orange County. Everything is probably within about an hour commute. And so there's options for people to skate here in LA. There's a little league probably in every little suburb. And then there's, you know, Angel City. And it's a close-knit community. Everybody pretty much knows everyone. Each different team kind of has their own reputations and everybody plays locally, which is great. But LA has definitely become one of those cities where you can go and see Derby, you know, every, almost every single weekend if you wanted to. Whereas there's some towns where it's like, okay, well, there's only Derby every few months. LA is not that town. You could, you could see a match probably every single weekend if you chose to. I love that. That's so amazing. And the whole, like, it seems like the whole ramp scene is really picking up too, right? Like, oh my gosh, that's grown. CIB is, yeah, CIB is huge. Chicks and Bowls. Mm -hmm. And I know, oh, I think they changed their name. They rebranded. Another CIB. Rebranding. Yes. CIB. Rebranded. Yes. Um, CIB crew. That's what they are. Crew. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's, they are huge here. I mean, Venice. It mm-hmm. has all these ramps and people know OJ, Octane Jane. Octane Jane uh, used to be a Hollywood Scarlet with Angel City. And she's doing like crazy aerial acrobatic stuff and working with uh, CIB. And so it's pretty much any kind of skating that you want to have, you can have in LA. 
If you want to skate bank track, there's bank track. If you want to skate flat track, there's flat track. Renegade, no rules. You can skate Renegade. There's ramp skating and all of CIB. There's also moxie skating, so beach skates. You know, we have moxie down here. Uh, Pigeon, who who runs moxie, skates. You know, it's just beach skating. And, you know, there's some... There's always an opportunity, especially the, the weather affords us an opportunity to kind of always be on wheels. So I don't ramp skate because, you know, I don't want to get hurt, but I beat skate probably about mm, two or three times a month. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just something we're really, we're really fortunate to have here. It's, it's the skate community in and of itself is more than just roller derby in, in, at least in LA. If you're on wheels, it's, it's everyone's kind of included beach skaters, ramp skaters, derby skaters, bank track skaters. It's okay. Northeast. We have beach skating too. We, we just get <laughs> hypothermia. <laughs> we do it right uh-huh. now, but it's all right. Uh-huh. <laughs> we can still do it. We Listen, I saw you so, complaining so. about that weather. Yeah. You can keep so it. Anyway, hey, don't be jealous. Come down here. You can come and hang. We'll show you all the places. I really need to. You You know what the thing is? My secret is that I don't. I don't drive, so I really feel intimidated by like car culture and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, because that's. (laughs) You know, it's so funny. I'm such a New Yorker that I don't have my license. I was gonna say you're a New Yorker (laughs) and you don't really need it. You know, when I lived in Manhattan, I remember thinking like, I'm gonna forget how to drive. I'm gonna forget. And that was a real thought. I was like, okay, I've got my Metro pass and that's all I need in life. But then what do I do when I go back to California? And it all came back. Let's take a detour into Cocoa Butter, the New York years. Uh, you were acting and and tell me more. Yeah. About this. Fascinating. So you know how oh, here. You, you, you I do. experienced the winter too. Man, I left in winter. I remember standing <laughs> at LaGuardia <laughs> and you, I did. The, the LaGuardia, you know, LaGuardia has that they have that sign out there that says like the time and the temperature and it said 19 i was like what you're and like then, you know channel one <laughs> it's right i said what 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 19 what celsius what is this are you talking about and then you know channel one comes on and channel one's like oh we recommend no exposed skin today and i'm thinking wait a second no exposed skin like I'm a person. You have like I have eyes and a mouth and a face. What you mean? What am I supposed I, to do I with the skin? <laughs> what do I do with the skin? It was November and I was like, ooh, I'm out. I'm leaving. I'm gone. <laughs> it ran you out. <laughs> it ran me wow. out. It was too cold. And I was broke. I was so broke, you know, because that's, I mean, New York is feast or famine. There is nobody doing okay there. You are either broke or you're doing real well. And I just remember feeling like I should be somewhere in this middle place, but I can't seem to get to the middle place. I'm still broke. I was an actress and, you know, working nine to five and then auditioning on the weekends and doing all those different kinds, or not on the weekends, but around my work schedule. I remember just thinking, you know, there's no way for me to really survive here. I sacrificed a a car. I sacrificed a good diet. I mean, I was on some ramen for quite some time. (laughs) Is this when you were in college or like when in life? I graduated from college and then I, no, let me rephrase. I didn't graduate from college because I said, I'm I'm a theater major. I don't really need this degree to do anything amazing. I'm going to fly myself to New York. 
And my parents supported me. They said, yeah, well, go and try and try your luck and do the best you can. And I flew out to New York and I lived there and I auditioned. I had an agent. I got a few things here and there, but, you know, it was just so hard to maintain it. I ended up feeling like, oh, well, what's the next step? What's the next step? So then I decided to move back to California and I'd say probably about three or four months after I moved back to California, I got a call from this casting agent that I'd been working with, uh, Bernard Telsey in New York. And Bernard Telsey was like, we want you to do rent. And I was like, well, I left New York because y'all didn't call me. It's funny you should mention that. I I left because of the rent. (laughs) I just said, I had no rent, so I had to go. And now you call and talking about, would you like some rent? Right. So I said, you people are crazy, but you know, I couldn't pass up the opportunity. So I ended up auditioning here in LA and went, went out on tour for a while and did that show. And I've done a bunch of other shows and I just remember feeling like, okay, what's my next big, big thing. And nothing really compares to the terror uh, the terror and the joy right before walking on stage than roller derby. I mean, it's the only other thing I've found that gives me the same joy and fear, like that roller coaster that exhilaration. fear. That exhilaration. And I thought, okay, if I can't go on tour anymore, I can't tour the country because I've got a, a spouse and I've got kids and I've got, you know, life here. What else am I going to do? And then I found I found this amazing sport that gave me the same you know, that feeling like, oh, I either am going to kill this right now or I'm I'm going to poop my pants. <laughs> and I found yeah. it in Derby. And so it's like, OK, that is this that's is that thing. That's the inner that's monologue. It. That's it. That's the inner monologue. It's like I'm either going to do do or I'm going to do this. Yes. So. I found that to be kind of like the most, the thing I could compare most to the most exciting part of my life. Derby is now my theater. Hell yeah. I love it. What have been the biggest rewards for you in terms of like your Derby play? I think my biggest, okay. My biggest reward has been finding out that I'm a badass. I feel like a lot of people go through their lives and and they think I'm I'm pretty tough. I'm, you know, I'm pretty amazing. I'm a, I'm a badass, but you don't really know that until you've done something that has challenged you physically and emotionally to really test whether or not you are. And I love that my boys look at me and they're like, wow, mom, you know, you're, you're a badass. They don't say that because that would be bad. I don't allow them to curse, but they are impressed by the fact that I'm athletic and that I work hard and on the track I'm respected and a little bit feared. And um, to them, that makes them, that, that to me is one of my biggest accomplishments because for a long time in my life, I just thought, you know, I'm just this woman. I, I have never felt empowered like I do when I'm in role, when I started playing roller derby, you know, I think the other thing that has been super beneficial is I found my people. I came out as queer probably about the time I really started getting serious into roller derby. So, you know, I was skating with these people that were very open and honest about who they are and really willing to share their experience 
and exactly what they're about. And I remember always feeling like, oh, well, you know, I have these feelings or these thoughts, but that doesn't mean that I'm, I'm queer. It just means, you know, I thought everyone had those feelings and those thoughts. And the roller derby community really helped me kind of figure out exactly who it is that I am. I think I understand what you're saying in that sometimes you hear the word queer or you hear the word athletic or badass and somehow you don't feel like you have the right to those terms, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. And it's yeah, not until, syndrome. yeah. And that's, and it's not until, it's not until you get comfortable in yourself and almost like defy what you thought were your limitations and see that you are all of those things that you actually have the owner, like you have the ability or the agency to kind of mm-hmm. claim those, those terms to and claim titles. It. Yeah. Absolutely. I to claim that. it. Right. Where real. people think it's, and, and I feel like people think that, oh, I can't possibly say those things about myself, or I can't claim that role, or I can't say that I am these things. And I think roller derby gave me the ability to say, I absolutely can. And like you said, to claim it, I can claim that I'm queer. I can claim that I'm strong. I can claim that I'm athletic and and own those things and be proud of them there is like no more badass thing than a black woman mother like killing it in life like that is the epitome of (laughs) of, of badassery to me i'm like you are badass by birthright like this is like you know i like that isn't it dope because it's it's the truth i was like of course you're badass but i'm glad that roller derby brought you closer to that realization and you know what it is too, I think, because it's uh, sports aren't, contact sports aren't supposed to be a terrain for women, you know, Correct. somehow like that also is off limits so that when we, when we take control and claim that space as well is when we really like uncover truths, I think. Absolutely. And if, you know, I think the way we push young, you know, cis males, to be athletic and to run and to do all of those different things. You know, women mostly have never been conditioned to do those things. To claim aggressiveness to claim or aggression yes. and assertiveness yes. and all of the and attributes like, that come with like competitive right. All of those things that we commend a young male for doing uh, as they grow up to be a, a man, we always, it's exactly the opposite for a woman. And I love that roller derby kind of flips that on its head when you say, oh, that was very aggressive. Nice. You know, it's completely the opposite of what women are always conditioned to be. Don't be aggressive. Don't speak up. Don't take space to, you know, speaking Don't of, the, of the podcast. Don't be loud. Don't be big. Don't be, you know, a thousand different things that roller derby says, yeah, be loud, be big, take up space, be aggressive, be strong. All of the things that I think young girls could really benefit from having the freedom to do, you know? And when you not get knocked down, pick yourself up, knock other people down. Yeah. And when you get injured, <laughs> heal, rehab and come yeah. back to it, you know, like it's yeah. bones break and you heal them and you get back in there. And like that, yeah, yeah. I agree. I totally agree. What have been the challenges for you, would you say, in your six uh, years and your tenure thus far? You know, it's been, it's been a blessing and a curse. I think being black in roller derby is a blessing and a curse. It is a blessing because we are the minority where, you know, we're the unicorn. You see one of us uh, on this, on the track skating and it's like, wow, you know, they stand out. And 
I think we stand out most of the time because of our prowess and our ability. But then again, it's also a curse. We stand out. And some of the things that have been very trying for me in my roller derby career has been being Black in derby, being equated to, as we were just talking about aggression, being too aggressive. Or hearing people say things like, oh, you know, Coco is going too hard. You know, she always goes too hard. It's like, well, you know, if I were a less imposing presence, would you be upset with me for going hard? If I was blonde and uh, thin and diminutive, would you say, oh, you're going too hard? No, you would say, wow, what a good job you're doing fighting and working so hard. You know, being black in roller derby comes with so much baggage. It's a microcosm of the world. So we cannot automatically expect that this roller derby community is going to be any different than the rest of the world that we live in. But because we have this expectation that we're so diverse and that we're so accepting and we're so open, I think it's more painful to African-American skaters because we hear that messaging all of the time. Oh, roller derby is so inclusive. Roller derby is so, you know, diverse. Roller derby, we don't like, feel that. going to strain its shoulder, patting its own back when it comes to diversity. Right. It's going I'm to saying, how many, how many times are you going to tell me how diverse it is? You're telling me how diverse it is? Listen, I am the diversity in your sport, and you're going to just keep shoving it down my throat. Like, if you tell me enough times that it's diverse and inclusive, maybe I'll believe it. I'm not sure who they're trying to convince <laughs> But you're not convincing me of any of that. I need to see some actionable content before I believe how diverse and inclusive roller derby is. You're right. Breaking it back to say these things, but not actually putting things into action. So I think that's been the heartbreaking part of it. You know, I've had people call me names. I've been called the N-word on the track. I've I had somebody call me buckwheat. You know, I, I've, I've had experiences that make me think, wow, this is not my sport. But in the same breath, that's nothing different than anything else I would have heard in the world. Someone on the street could call me a nigger. Somebody on, you know, somebody walking in the, in the mall could call me you know, buckwheat. But I think it's so jarring and painful for uh, the roller derby African American skater because we think we're in this safe space where they see us for our athleticism, they see us for what we can do, what we can uh, accomplish on the track. And then it's always jarring and surprising. You say, oh my gosh, no, 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 I'm still in the real world. This is still just America. This is still just this country with its own hangups and issues. And so I think it's even more painful. I mean, I've cried because I thought, I thought I was in a safe spot. I thought I was in a safe place. I thought I was surrounded by people who who knew me and cared about me. But whereas on the street, I'd be like, yeah, you call me the N word and I'll call you whatever I call you and keep keep it moving, you know, because you're more prepared. So oh, yeah, no, and I it's, think that's hard. It's, it is, it's not the word itself because unfortunately, as you said, it it's so commonplace and look who's our president. It can happen right. anywhere. This is the, this mm-hmm. is how we live. These are our times, sadly, but it's in, within the context of Derby, in Derby, that's supposed to be this utopia and this empowering mm-hmm. place. It's 
like, oh no, that's not for you. You're not welcome here. Um, you don't what, deserve you don't, that yeah, utopia. You don't belong here. here. Yeah, this is not <laughs> right. for you. That's the, I feel like the most bitter part about it, at least for me. Let's flip the coin because I also think that, like as I, as I was telling you earlier, in fact, you and I met in a gathering of skaters of color at RollerCon yeah. a couple years back. Our community is such a source <laughs> of inspiration for me and such a, and motivation and superhero worship. Like, I just feel like the, yeah. the skater of color community is amazing. And so I would like to ask you about your experience. Not that you should have the same experiences as me, but like, you know, I, I think that having, you know, followed you for some time and seeing you participate in the annual Black Roller Derby Network uh, exhibition mm. at RollerCon, that community means a lot to you and that you're very active in the skaters of color community. Can, what does am. community mean to you? Community means to me... As far as I would say my community within like the BRDN or in Team Diaspora, it's a place where you have, and I don't want to focus everything on trauma, but you have shared trauma, right? We've all experienced this thing or whatever that active action is, or we've all had similar stories. And I think within the community, what it says to me is, look, at we all have these same experiences. Now, what do we do to make it so the next people coming in behind us don't have those same experiences? And I think community is so important because, you know, if you're, if you're skating somewhere in the Midwest and you're the only skater of color for miles and miles and miles, you may think you're alone. You may think I'm the only Black kid that likes to play this sport. But visibility, seeing that there's a community out there for you, seeing that there are thousands of people who look just like you that love this sport, that's what's so important to me. The Black Roller Derby Network, the the Team Diaspora team working with people with African-American backgrounds or just African backgrounds. And then the way we were, we've been able to team up with all of the other different teams, different, you know, with uh, JRD. Like with, the decolonized uh, teams. Yes. All of, the, all of the other teams that have also sort of come out and shown support for one another. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like... It makes it that situation where you feel like, yes, you're you're a part of this small community, this little subset, but it's so much larger than that. And when we have Team Indigenous helping out and watching BRDN games, and then we go and we watch them, you know, skate. And then, you know, Jewish Roller Derby has a game. Oh, everyone, we chime in to one another. Hey, make sure that you go watch Darity play uh, at two o'clock. Oh, okay, Team Indigenous has a game at, at noon. Make sure that you guys go in and you, you watch. Supporting one another, that's the broader community that I think empowers me even more than being surrounded by other African-American skaters, knowing that they recognize, ah, it's not just them versus us, or it's not just these individual smaller communities fighting amongst one another. But I think we feel like one giant community, Mm -hmm. you know, all of these other marginalized or POC groups, people of color that have come together to say, no, 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 we want to take space. We want to, we want to show that we have a place within this sport and be an example to other people to bring them into the, to bring them into the sport. You know, visibility is like, I'd say 80%, you know, teams always say, well, what, what do you want us to do? You know, we just don't have any black skaters. And I'm thinking, okay, you don't have any black skaters. Why? You don't have any black skaters because you don't have any black skaters. 
You're not showing that you have any black skaters. You're not putting anything out there showing that you have black skaters. You're not showing that you have anything, any people of color. And so that's why I've been really, really, I, I advocate for people putting out flyers, posters, advertisements that show the different dynamics within their league. You know, it's maybe this week and it's not, it's a very fine line between tokenism mm-hmm. and actually advocating, showing invisibility, you and know, inclusion. and inclusion. It's so hard to say, well, you know, we put Coco on the flyer last week because, you know, we, we wanted to have somebody, you know, a person of color on the flyer. But you can't put Coco on the flyer every single time, right? Mm-hmm. So what do you do then if you don't have Coco on the flyer? What are the other things that you can do to show visibility? You know, one of the things that used to kill me about Angel City was we practiced in Gardena. Gardena in in L.A., for people who may not be familiar, is yes, blackity black black. It's black, 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 black. Okay, Gardena is a the part one of the blackest areas of, of the county of Los Angeles. And I always remember thinking, we're practicing down the street from, you know, churches and community uh community centers that have all these young kids in here that have never seen roller derby, never really been exposed to it. And then, you know, Angel City said, that's true. You're right. And so they started reaching out and inviting those kids into the warehouse so that they can say, ah. behind that? Well, we started these thoughts years and years ago. And so the conversation from diversity and inclusion, when we started it at Angel City about three or four years ago, was what do we need to do to get people in here? And so we started the diversity and inclusion committee. Diversity and inclusion then would partner with another group that would go out and do sort of community service. So then it was about focusing community service on the areas within Gardena. We can do community service anywhere in LA, but why not do it in the city that we practice in? So I'm not going to take credit for it, but yes, we were part of the decisions when we were making those choices years ago. I think it was, it was, it might've been during your tenure because I, I remember, I know that you also handled the social media accounts for Angel City while you were there for a a season, I want to say. And I did uh, for two seasons. For two seasons. Pardon, (laughs) I'm sorry. My fact checking department. I'm, someone's going to, someone's head's going to roll for that. (laughs) No, I'm joking. So I was like, I, I, it was such a dope account. It was, the, the, the accounts were so dope. You had like, like yeah. different little campaigns, like uh, not campaigns, but like spotlights during like Hispanic Heritage Month and yeah. issue and African American history and you know yeah. things that are still being practiced. I think like a lot of the stuff that people do nowadays with the quotes and what have you started may have started. I don't think I saw it before your work, especially in the especially well, maybe in like the Derby context for sure. Yeah. It was quite inclusive and quite diverse. And also I rem- I think I remember. I remember like seeing pictures of an event where there were like kids from like the urban area yeah. in LA and I was like this is so dope you honey so much I'm not like I'm calling you I honey love it. okay cool <laughs> I'm calling you honey out of like just I don't know I love it like, honey okay, hunchy I'll take all of it thank you sweet. but I also don't want to, I also don't want you to think like why does she does she think I'm honey presto like I don't want you to like, no. like no. oh god don't bring up honey's name she's so funny we there's we have this little group of uh, black black girl skaters. I want to ask you about honey. that. Oh, so you know I'm going to ask you about that. I, I, like, I follow your, your Instas. I want to ask. Oh, yeah. You do like pictures about this. 
Okay. So, but like my point was, I was like, God. see, I think initially I, I ran social media when I was on the board of directors, that was, I was marketing was my pillar head and I worked really closely with Rotten, with Rachel Rotten. And I think once she and I had a conversation about what I wanted our social media to look like and what I wanted it to do and what I wanted it, how I wanted it to reach the world. And, you know, I think especially these D1 teams, top 10 especially, have a responsibility. I know it's not fair and it's not, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that we have to put it on them, but they have the visibility that other smaller leagues don't have. And so when I told Rachel, this is what I plan to do, this is, this is how I want to run it. I want it to be I want it to be a social, I want there to be a social aspect of it, but I really also want there to be social commentary. I want it to be very inclusive. I want it to be very diverse. We're going to celebrate every type of person we have in this league. We're going to do pictures of all of the Latinx people. We're going to do a campaign for, you know, Hispanic Heritage Funds. We're going to do a campaign for Indigenous Month. We're going to do a campaign for every single group of people that is present within the league so that when other young people or other skaters see this social media, they can see themselves in it. And if they see themselves in it, that brings them to the sport, possibly brings them to the league, but more importantly, brings them to the sport. And so Rachel kind of gave me the autonomy to do what I wanted to do. And because February is so early in the month or in the year, I said, we're going to start, we're going to, we're going to make this the blackest account anybody's ever seen. And so we highlighted every single black skater that we had within the league. Um, One of my very first posts was of fear of a black planet is what I used to call them. It was Honey Brasco, Soledad, Booty Ninja, and I'm a Blobaya, coached by by Ron Anderson. And all five of them were on the track and they start, they were the very first jam. I remember thinking, I've never seen anything like that, right? And that right then and there told me, if you see it, you can be it. So I kept telling them, listen, if we put this out there and they see that we're here, they see that this is available, people will come, people will come out of the woodwork. And so that passion kind of led me to continue doing our social media for for two years. I loved it. Being a a Black woman, you have the ability to kind of say things that I think other people may not be comfortable saying. But because I was African-American and I was posting it, it, it came out okay. You know what I mean? I don't know if it's harder for other leagues that maybe don't have as as much of an, a POC presence for them to do the same thing. But it doesn't take a lot to do some research and find out about Minnie, who was, you know, the very first roller derby player, or for you to figure out all of these different things that skate culture has been touched by you know, the African-American community. I would want people to be as passionate about visibility as I am, because I feel like that's the only way we can diversify the sport is if we show how diverse it is and that we're there. All of these different types of people exist in these leagues and in this sport. And if you see them, maybe you see yourself. Let me tell you, like, it's almost like if there's something in your brain that activates when you see a derby skater of your complexion of or of your, yeah. you know, of your race on the track. You're like, mm-hmm. I can do it. Like, there is me. I am there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just, mm-hmm. it is. there's something super powerful powerful of it. I think of the moments where like 
I maybe I first saw Benita Applebaum play or like yeah. saw Freight Train or saw mm-hmm. uh, Queen and you know just like those moments and I I it's it, it feels weird to say this but I think so much about Beyonce the retired yeah. Gotham player <laughs> from like way back when because like I'm yeah. like what would Beyonce do <laughs> because such yeah. an incredible player such a legendary yeah. player you know that you just those moments stick with you because you see those people you see those players and there's something subliminal that's like there's a home here for me there's someone that Mm -hmm. looks like me here this could be a home for me this could be a place for me a sport for me so I'm with you visibility is so important so important and so as far as your circle your circle of black skaters like can I tell you that like (laughs) you see like in tv or me I see on tv like you know in like the sitcoms or like the the circle of beautifully manicured women of like (laughs) melanated women of different heights and complexions and occupations and uh-huh. hairstyles and fashion and they're all like incredibly impeccable and manicured and I'm just like that's not real life <laughs> like, I'm like eating my, te- my Cheetos and dust and like wiping my hands with my cat I'm like that doesn't exist <laughs> this is checking social media I kind of better have some new Instagram stories let me check beautiful people the beautiful people that I just saw on my flat screen TV are your friends this is y'all doing TikToks together being Amazing, oh, incredible. <laughs> like, oh, okay. So maybe they <clears throat> maybe some Hollywood scriptwriter ran into y'all and like no. a fictional. No. <laughs> you know what? It's so funny because I remember I had the same thing. You know, I I I was younger and I think I, you know, living single, yeah. I want, you know, a group of people to be or sisters, you know, you watch these totally shows. You manifested think, them. <laughs> I've never had one of these groups in my life. You know, I I was raised in Ventura, a very small white community north of here. I went to Catholic school my whole life. I've always been the only black girl, right? And so it's funny that we all found one another within roller derby. And we all have had a very similar experience where we never really had that community or like, you know, that real group of sister friends that we thought, you know, this is my crew. And I think we all just re- we talked about that not too long ago where we were like, gosh, I'm so grateful that I found you all, you know, that we found one another. And uh, DJ uh, Blackjack was visiting with us last what she came she came out a, a couple weeks ago and lauren kill said bj's coming out we have to get together let's have our black girl lunch actually we call it in living color in living color is the the group Stop. the little group name i can't and, so and she's like everybody get together and it's all just black roller derby skaters and you know all of us have played for however many years we got finally got Honey Brasco to, you know, get off her tough and she comes and hangs out. And it's just kind of this group of women to support one another through Derby, but also just support one another as as black women. And it's so powerful, Magic. If I could tell you how empowering it is just to be in a room full of that much melanin and that much intelligence. And then we start talking Derby, you know, we we try to solve solve the problems of the world, including roller derby in these in our little brunches. But it's very empowering. So I'm happy that y'all, yeah. y'all are doing it, getting <laughs> together and <laughs> making community happen amazing hollywood industry listeners that tune into this podcast as they usually do um please 
ask your assistants and your interns to create a dope ass like sitcom or you know series around this around the living color please because I need to in the business honey's in the business we should make her do it we should make her write it we need to see so ourselves that's what she does <laughs> we, yes. need we need to see ourselves <laughs> we, do. Like, we do need to see ourselves sitting with a tuxedo cat in new york city in the freezing 19 degree weather <laughs> which is still us that's but, hey but that's still that's us you're just true. living the other side of it <laughs> <laughs> well you come out here and you can come to, to and live in color in, in the, i'll make sure we have a brunch when you're in town so. i love that that'd be dope how are you on time by the way i don't want to bogart i'm good i'm chilling looking at the beautiful sunset over the hills of of los angeles nice i just saw a penguin walk by here it's it's Uh, right ice cubes it's raining ice cubes (laughs) i know it is that's why i had to get out of there cross country skis you know it's oh gosh it's It's just so complicated you know yep and then the, and then y'all wonder why we're so mean. <laughs> Listen, I don't think New Yorkers are mean. I love New Yorkers. I love okay. living there. I never had any issues. I loved it. Awesome. You're welcome back. Yeah. You can come back. Thank you. I will come back. I will come back and visit. I'm like, not gonna come back in and May. say I'll come back and say hi. You're like, I, you, I'll come back in, in May or June. I'll Correct. Be... <laughs> Listen, it's a very short window. I will come back between May and June. I won't come down anytime between July and September. And then I'll <laughs> See you again in October, and nice. I won't come back again until the following May. <laughs> done and done. Okay, so I feel like in the midst of our conversation, we've definitely spoken about visibility and other sort of and inclusion and other sort of insight and tips. I, but I wanted to ask the question head on: Do you have any other mm-hmm. sort of suggestions or tips or or things that you would like to see in the world and speak into existence in terms of like Derby and its lack of diversity. And one of the things, and we did touch on it, is doing more within the communities that could use this. You know, we I've heard your podcast and I've had this conversation with so many other different people. And we always talk about how finances can be so limiting as far as playing roller derby. And I've heard people in different leagues make that excuse where they'll say, well, we would love to have more people play or skate, but you know, roller derby is expensive and it's, you know, it's a hobby. No one deserves, you know, it's not like people, it's not like a, a right to live, you know, no one just has to have roller derby in their life. But I think being able to work towards breaking down the financial barriers that keep certain POCs out of the sport would be my main focus. I know certain leagues, I know Rose City has a pretty extensive lender gear. And I think certain leagues, I know Angel City had a loaner gear um, library. I think if certain people, I don't know why I say certain, if roller derby in and of itself is interested in diversifying the leagues, the sport, WFTDA, you have to make it accessible to everyone. So making it so that you have to pay $75 a month in a league, that's going to cut people out. Making it so that skates are six, $700, you're going to cut some more people out. Making it so that people can't actually play the sport unless they're willing to travel, you're going to cut out another set of people. The way the sport is set up now, it is set up for the privileged. People who have the disposable income to pay for gear, the disposable income to travel, the disposable income to be able to miss days of work 
because you either have to practice or you have to go to go to a tournament. I think that's where I would focus. I would focus on how to make it more accessible financially. Mm-hmm. Make it so that people have gear that they can get to. Make it so that if people have a problem paying dues every single month and they can't afford $75, 65 $100 a month, what is it that that league can do to support that skater so that they don't have to quit just because they can't afford the dues? I know it's sort of like in this utopian dream world that all of these things can happen, but I feel like we've worked so hard to make this sport inclusive for other different groups of people. You know, roller derby is very, very open to the LGBTQIA uh, community. We've gone beyond. We try, now listen, we still have work to do, but roller derby has gone above and beyond to try to make this sport inclusive for that community for my community, the LGBT community. But in the same breath, we have not done the same thing just to reach out to people who who are still here, have a have an interest in the sport. You know, the LGBTQIA community has already is already part of the derby community. Mm-hmm. That's not something we need to focus on currently as as far as bringing more people in. We need to focus on treating them better, treating all of us better while we're within the sport. But if we're focused on bringing more people in, the only way to diversify it is to try to channel some of that energy and those goals that we keep setting forth on people who don't currently have access to the sport. Or don't feel welcome in the sport. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I think that it doesn't have to be a zero-sum game because I feel like with oppression Olympics of sorts, it's always like (laughs) in order to get more attention, someone else has to lose attention. No, it's... Yeah, it's not pie. No. It's not pie where this person gets three slices of pie, there's less pie for me. That's Mm -hmm. not how it works. No. You know, if it's... What I'm saying is where we have focused attention and we have focused resources on on this particular situation, on this particular goal of making it more inclusive for the LGBTQIA community, we can do exactly the same thing for POC skaters. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. It doesn't have to be, well, you know, we've done it for this group of people, so now we can't do it for this group. Or like you said, it doesn't have to be a zero sum. It's it's almost more painful because we know it can be done. We've seen it. We've seen it. We've seen that it can be done. We've seen that policies have been written. When there wants to be movement in certain directions, the wheels move faster. The the, like the engine starts running. Like everything happens with quicker with with quicker velocity when there's the when there's the interest when there's the desire the actual intent. Correct for sure. When the intent is there. You know what I have a I have a a hypothesis too that I think Mm -hmm. part of it is also that white skaters and white people in order to do that work would have to acknowledge uh guilt and oh yeah you know know, swallow fragility and uh, those are things that aren't really come upon like you have to you have to want to do those things you have to actively practice and do those things and that those aren't the easiest things to come by in just within derby but also everywhere (laughs) in this country everywhere so yeah so of course in within the little small tiny derby bubble it's going to 
also be a challenge. But it's well, it's like what Queen Lucy Tifa said. She's like, why am I supposed to come in and fix a problem that I that I didn't cause? Like, it's not my yeah, a problem that I didn't create. It's not my I, like. I I'm a black skater and I want to skate and I don't want to have to be over penalized and miscolored yeah. and I'm not responsible for any of those things. Those I didn't do that. So why am I the one that has to like, now fix it? And I think that's the that's true. Like it, it's the onus is not on people of color. The onus is on the mm-hmm. majority to do the work and do make, and the make the changes. Yep, for sure. And to educate themselves and to stop waiting uh, or putting the workload on POCs. Oh, well, educate us. Okay, well, we're, we're a good 500 years into having black people in this country. So I don't know how much more education you need. If you need education, then that's something that you can certainly seek out. I think the thing that is painful to me, like Queen said, you know, I didn't create this, but now I'm being asked to solve this problem. Mm-hmm. You know, and solve it once and for all, as if it's it's something that can, that can be a, applied like a band aid. No, that's, right? It's a practice. Or, or if you <laughs> felt that we had this, if you felt that we had this answer, you don't think we would have already told y'all? <laughs> if we if we had this fix, if we had this magical button that we could push, or this magical phrase that we could say to you that would make everything better, we absolutely would have done that. But the problem is that the, uh, the accountability is being pushed from those with power to those who don't. Yep. And that's, that never fixes anything. And then when nothing you know? happens, everyone shrugs their shoulders. And everyone shrugs. <laughs> well, we tried. Well, but did you really try? You know, I had a situation where I was called black and, and then I got a, an insubordinate. Because I refused to leave the track. I refused to leave the track. I heard my number. Mm-hmm. I heard it. Black 910. But I was skating into city and I was red as hell. Mm-hmm. And I refused to leave the track. I remember when I got the penalty. I remember when he gave me an insubordination and I was sitting in the box to serve my two penalties. I remember my coach coming over and looking at me and saying, well, he said he didn't say it. Wow. That's the kind of accountability that I'm talking about. It's this very hard place of Do you want the coach to flip tables and to stop the game and to raise hell and to say this is an injustice? You absolutely do want those things. But then sitting there in the box, there's this guilt of, well, I I don't really have the right to ask for that. And I don't really want the game to stop. And maybe it was just a mistake. And maybe there. And so then we make all of these excuses and allow things to continue to wash over us. These little, these little passive aggressive, these, these microaggressions and aggressive aggressions and nothing really happens. Did I want my coach to make more of a stink? I did. I wanted my coach to make a stink and to make, make sure that I knew and that everyone else knew that it was unacceptable. That's the only way for roller derby, in my opinion, to get better, is that all of these other people who are actually being listened to actually make a stink. Maybe you do have to flip the table. Maybe you do need to end the game. Maybe we need to stop and reevaluate before we move on and stop allowing your POC skaters to just eat it because it's more comfortable and it's, it's easier. 
and, you know, we'll be able to move on and maybe we can address it at a later time and then it never gets addressed. That's yeah. the only way to fix it. I agree. You know, it's frustrating that that even has to come to that too, because I think about Atlanta and they were playing at ECDX for seeding. They mm-hmm. had real repercussions at the end of those games. And mm-hmm. not, that it, not that you didn't or anyone, you know what I mean? But I, like, they also, no, it, it they also like them invested their their money to be Mm -hmm. there that weekend and to leave to stop a game would mean all of that would have been lost all of it all of it exactly yeah it's a hard situation but we shouldn't have to be in that we shouldn't yes we shouldn't have to be in that position where you make us either where we have to either pick all of the money and all of the wasted investment or being treated appropriately Mm-hmm. That's that's not a reasonable that's not a reasonable uh, choice. Or being treated with the respect the, the respect that full humanity entails, and you know, correct, <laughs> yeah, or just for sure. as as any other player on the track. Yeah, any other player on the track, you know, if someone anyone else on the track, they expect to be treated a certain way. Unfortunately, POC skaters do too, but we don't expect the same thing. Any other skater that's skating on the track is thinking about what they're going to do. They're thinking about how they're going to play, staying focused, making sure they're getting their stuff taken care of. Whereas other POC skaters are thinking, okay, I have to make sure my numbers are correct. Uh, I'm not going to wear black numbers because if I wear black, the ref may call me black instead of, you know, the actual color that I'm wearing. So let me make sure that my armbands are red so that he can see that they're red and then I don't want to hit too hard because if I hit too hard I'm going to get an egregious but you know so just thoughts that other POC skaters have to think about that the rest of the derby community never has to think about we should be afforded at least the same equality that when I'm on the track I'm thinking about the same thing that the white skaters thinking about I'm thinking about playing my hardest staying skating clean staying on the track doing those kinds of things it Instead, shouldn't even have to I'm be like a luxury like being stuff. treated normal and average shouldn't be the luxury <laughs> right <laughs> like, why is that the exception can yeah. i just be regular today can i just be regular yeah. <laughs> a normal regular person i mean and it's sad to have to expect that or to, to want that but i mean that's the world we live in mm-hmm. it's a sport we're in at least now for now for so. sure Okay, pivoting and wrapping up. Do you have a self-care tip? I do have a self-care tip. And it's not going to be popular. It's not going to be popular. And I know this is a roller derby podcast, but I'm going to say it anyway. If I don't feel like going to practice, I don't go to practice. I know that sounds absolutely terrible. But there have been times where I have been kind of hurt, maybe a little bit hurt. I'm sure I could have pushed through but I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Now, I'm not saying I didn't go to practice. I maybe would go and I would sit and I would watch. But one of the things that I have found over my however many years of playing is that I've never gotten better when I've pushed through, Mm. ever. I've never gotten better when I've pushed through. You know, people say you have to be tough and part of sports and you have to, you know, the tenacity and so on and so forth. I have never, ever gotten better more quickly by pushing through. 
my self-care tip is if you don't feel like it, don't. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that is listening to your body, listening to yourself. Like, of course, Absolutely. That's, that's wonderful. I'm all supportive. <laughs> Whoever thinks that's unpopular or, you know, controversial, like could go kick rocks. Hell yeah. Listen to your body. Yeah, listen to yourself. Listen to your body. Listen to yourself. You know, there's been those times where you're like, you know, I really am supposed to be at home working. I'm supposed to be doing my job today, but you know, I need to go and I need to go do this other thing. I found that if you allow Derby to take over the things that keep you alive and well, Derby will always be there. Mm -hmm. It will always, always be there. And when I allow myself to get caught up in the guilt of not going to practice or get caught up in the guilt of, I can't do every single volunteer hour this month. You know, I find that the rest of my life suffers. And when the rest of my life suffers, Derby is not even a thought. So in order to keep myself active in Derby, I need to make sure I'm taking care of the other things. So maybe sometimes I got to stay home and I've got to work or I need to rehab or I need to sit this, this practice out. That's so. awesome. Yeah, no, I'm, I love that tip. Thank you. And Thank so you. what would you like to hold space for? This is a free space for any thoughts, any, anything you want to bring attention to or just get off your, your chest, off your mind. I know that everyone is well aware of QSA, uh, Queer Skate Alliance. But if you're not aware of Queer Skate Alliance, please look them up. One of the things that really helped me feel more home in roller derby was coming out as queer, as bi or pan. And I would go to roller con. I've been to five, six roller cons. And every, you know, what was it, Friday there'd be the the gray versus orange, or there'd be, you know, these bouts that really support um, lesbians and, and people who are, are queer or gay. And I remember thinking, there's no space for me here. Mm. I really wish I could skate on one of these teams. I would love to support the LGBTQIA community, but I don't really fit into either of these boxes. And when Olive asked me um, last year, if I would skate QSA, I cried. I'm crying now because I'm a big wuss. Because <laughs> there was finally this place that said, it's not just about the G, it's not just about the L, but the B, the T, the Q, the I, the A, everybody else is included in this. And skating QSA was one of the most enriching experiences I ever had. One, I was able to skate with high, high, D1, high level skaters, which is always the goal to, to mm. play up, to skate up, to, to challenge yourself, but also as a way to be out and to be mm. out with my community in front of all of roller derby and all of the world and say, hey, I'm part of this. This is also my community. Thank you so much for welcoming me into it. So I shout out Olive, who started uh, Queer Skate Alliance. And if you're looking for a home and you feel like you don't really fit in one way or another, QSA is a, is a great place for you to be an alien. So I'm holding space for them. Yes. And last but not least, who is your MVP? And that could be a person, place, thing, derby or non-derby related or skating, non-skating related. I love this. I love that you asked this too. First, I will start with my spouse. Everybody talks about having a widow or a widower. And it's not really, I wouldn't say that I died, but without his support, 
I don't think I would have been able to play the the last six years that I have played, whether that's taking care of the kids or dragging them to my bouts or letting me go off to Vegas for a week every year in, in July. Um, and so be I with really your community. <laughs> and be with my community and do my thing. You know, it took him some time to be able to accept who I am and to accept how important Derby is in my life. But he has. And so I thank him for that. And then my other MVPs is a shout out one to uh, my single ladies, the, the black girl roller derby girls living single. Yes. Because, because they've kept me positive. They've kept me looking forward to something and they reflect who I am. You know, seeing myself in them has helped me stay positive about roller derby, about being an African-American woman in America. And my last MVP is my three best friends. I met all three of these women while skating for Angel City. And they are, shout out to the Shadies, the four of us. I love that everyone has a, every click has a (laughs) name. (laughs) They do. The Shadies. They're the Shadies because we like to throw shade. But um, one of us is African, Nigerian. I'm Bermudan from, uh, from Bermuda. And then one is Chinese and the other one is Mexican. Mm. And so we're kind of this rainbow coalition. And so we kind of have all the bases covered and we're all at different places in our lives. But these three women have held it down for me for I don't know how long. So I give them my MVP because women need to be supported by women. Yes. You know, when when the spouse is gone, when the partner is gone, when anyone else is gone, you have to rely upon those other people who continue to hold you up. So mm-hmm. shout out to my shadies. Yay. Oh, Yay. I love that on that note. Shout out shadies. Shout out Kilo. <laughs> yes. Kilo. Oh, dang. <laughs> Kilo, I hope I really sincerely hope you made it this far. Otherwise I'll be very disappointed. <laughs> I'm, I'll I don't make even sure know she you listens are. to the end. <laughs> um, I'll make sure she listens to the end. <laughs> and living single and in, in living color. Um, shout out yes. to y'all too, your MVPs, USA, Olive, and last but not least, you, Coco. Thank you for being such a beam of light and strong, powerful force in this community. I remember when we met. <sighs> Can I tell you that, like, I just need to tell you that I could tell that you were going through it. (laughs) I could tell that you were, you were in the last throws. And I think that had I been in your position, I probably would have walked away. Um, I didn't know exactly what you had on your shoulders at the moment, but I could tell that it was really weighing you down and that you were, you were, you were trying to make it through. And like, so I, I definitely felt that energy from you and to see that you ultimately found the way forward and found a, a derby league. And then you found a derby world that, that complements your world better, that fits better for your needs. I, I'm, I'm ecstatic and I, I'm glad that you're still with us. I'm relieved and grateful that you were able to do that work and that you didn't give up. That That's so, so awesome. Oh, I appreciate that. I remember when we first met, I was like, ooh, this one. This one's got ideas. This is exciting. This is exciting. (laughs) All right, folks, well, there you have it. Holding Space with Magical Wheelism is available on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and YouTube. Help the pod grow by subscribing and sharing it with friends. Rating and reviewing on Apple Podcasts also helps others find us. Follow the pod on Instagram at Holding Space with Magic Pod. 
intro and outro music is by Sun Searcher. The song is called Latin Rhythm. And the cover photo is by James Corbett of Epic Life Images. Find him at Epic Life Images on Instagram. See you next time. Bye.